Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I mean, no one plans to get sick. And yet, here we are. My name is Matthew Zachary. A quarter century ago, I was given six months to live with a diagnosis of terminal brain cancer. For more than 15 years, I've been ranting and raving on the air about stupid cancer and now stupid healthcare, and I'm just getting warmed up. So let's all go make healthcare suck less together because you know what? We're all out of patience. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Out of Patience. Got a great show for you today. Vanessa Style is an adolescent young adult thyroid cancer survivor, you know, the good kind, end quotes, wink, wink. We talk about that on the show, among many, many other things, such as how she had a major in poli sci, which derailed because, you know what? Stupid cancer came along. She got very lucky. We talk about luck in how do you navigate who you know, how you get to care and how you work yourself through this when you're not 8 or 80 years old. Young adult cancer is not better or worse than other age groups. It's just different. Another reminder, channeling the origin stories of stupid cancer and the young adult cancer movement. You're going to love the show. She was here in studio. Great chemistry. Here you go. Vanessa Style. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, listeners. I'm here with Vanessa Style. I'm thrilled to have you. I kind of stalked you. I was excited to get you on the show. And uh, we have a billion people in common, and yet we never met. I, I know. That's so true. Thank you so much, Matthew, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. You were thrust into the Young Adult Cancer Universe almost 10 years ago, coming up on nine yeah. this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You really have done your research. Oh, come on. Like, I, I kind of get my facts right, but I'm not a journalist. Like, I just want to have a conversation with you and like... I want to start by saying, poli sci major, that went off the rails. How'd that get started? Yeah, that is a long and twisting story. Um, I started at American University intent on being a political science major, going to law school. And then I decided, maybe I'll take a year off and I'll work for a law school. And that was back in 2009 when the economy was crazy and, and people were struggling to get jobs. And I was like, Maybe I don't want to spend this kind of money and go to law school. Uh, I was, you know, seeing the graduates come out and I'm like, yeah, I think I'm better off having a steady paycheck and health insurance. Hashtag job market. Exactly. Exactly. So kind of from there, um, you know, I, I stuck it out in higher education. I was looking for my passion. And well, then I'll let you get into the rest of my story. Yeah, that's exactly. I, I went to Binghamton uh, to originally major in biomedical engineering. I got into a five-year master's program, and I think it was the first semester of sophomore year with a 7 a.m. organic chemistry four class that done me in. I was just going to say, that probably did it for you. It was, I just couldn't. It was like a real litmus test. 7 a.m. when you're like 19 years old. That's a commitment. That is unacceptable. <laughs> that would not work in 2022. Cruel and unusual punishment. It was horrible. And I, I remember calling my dad and saying, um... I just switched my major to lit. It's like, you what? 
I want my money back. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I figured that would be the parental reaction yeah. to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, overall, I'm a music major. Like, that's like, who the hell, how did I get into this shit? But like, to your point, when all the shit you didn't expect to have to happen kind of just goes in there and blows everything up, you transform for all the right and wrong reasons. No, it's, it's true. You know, you have your plan, but life might have another plan for you. Yes. So I'm fascinated by the fact that you want to have a lot in common in the sense that you lucked out. That you knew a guy that knew a guy that knew a guy that got you the things you didn't know you needed in the moment you needed them. And it seems like you got what you needed pretty quickly. I was looking at like you were at your GYN, blood work, ultrasound, endocrinologist, biopsy. You met Gary and Thika, surgeon bingo, and then you're to surgery. Like what was the time frame for all of that? Yeah, so the time frame of it actually isn't as seamless as what you described. Right. Um, and especially, Never is. yeah, right. And especially as the patient, it felt like it dragged out forever. Right. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with thyroid cancer in April of 2013, and it was a complete fluke. I had gone to a new gynecologist for what I thought was going to be my routine annual exam, and he had asked if he could perform a neck check which completely caught me off guard. I had been seeing an ENT for about 15 years at that point, and I'm pretty sure I never had a neck check with them. Right. So I agreed, and the first thing he said was, has anyone ever told you you have a nodule on the right side of your thyroid? Shocked. Right. You know, never heard that before. Um, so I wasn't initially too concerned. My grandmother had a benign thyroid nodule. I knew they could be common. So I kind of listened to him. I was like, oh, blood work, ultrasound, endo something. Right. Sounds straightforward. All right. And then like 48 hours later, I think I started to panic. And I was like, wait, could this be cancer? Right. So I followed all the next recommendations. Which, by the way, 11 years ago was still kind of boogeyman. Way, way less boogeyman than it's today. Oh, yeah. No, I totally didn't even know where my thyroid really was, what function it served. I was lost. I was like, endo is something, endo something. I don't know. I have to go find one of those. Where do I find one of those? So I went for the blood work. I had subclinical hypothyroidism. That's a good amount of syllables right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I got such an education just from like the first few Your weeks. Your wiki just <laughs> yeah, built itself. I, you know, so I'm like, now we need to Google the endo something and the subclinical hypothyroidism. Oh, and I have to go for an FNA biopsy. Gesundheit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was it was a mouthful. Now imagine having to explain this to like all your friends and family and laymen and you know, if I didn't know, I'm like, do they know where the thyroid is? How much right. How much explaining do I have to do? Thigh what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the amount of people that, you know, once I did have my diagnosis said, well, at least you have the good cancer. I was going to point yeah. that out because, like, you know, working at Stupid Cancer for all those years, it was always like this. Um, I'll put it this way. The breast cancer wars worked. They had diet and sit-ins and they forced the government, they forced pharma to do the right thing to help create systems and reimbursements that – we're beyond the drug, like just help us live. Antiemetics and pain medicines and things like that. Obviously, breast cancer is the sexy cancer, at least it was at the time with the pink ribbons and the blenders mm-hmm. and the pink M&Ms and all the crap that happened out there. And the infighting began within breast. It wasn't like we're all unified about breast cancer. Then it became like, oh, you only had stage one? And then with the good cancer showed up. That's the good breast cancer. And then that translated to, oh, thyroid. You know, iodine, you're done, right? Yeah, exactly. Not okay. Yeah, no. And and that was like so jarring right right off the bat, even hearing the endocrinologist say, well, it's the good cancer. Right. Now, as an advocate, I say, you know what? The good cancer is the one that you don't get. (laughs) Like, that's the bottom line. I mean, there there is a sliding scale of least worst. 
But when you're supposed to be healthy and well at 26, it's hard enough to be 26 when you're well. I've been saying that for 20 years. Exactly. You know, then shit happens. And like, what do I do? You know, you still go through the same life issues, mm-hmm. irrespective of your death effect. Right. And you go through all the same emotions, you know, compartmentalizing, dealing mm-hmm. with your disease. So there's so many things that go into a, a cancer diagnosis. And, and even with thyroid cancer, there are variants of thyroid cancer. That's a dangerous word these days. I, that's true. I know. Apologies. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's true. There's papillary, which is what most of the thyroid cancer diagnoses are. And usually they're easier to treat and, you know, have a good prognosis. But then you have medullary, follicular, like there's just so many different syllables. Yeah. Syllables that go on. So, you know, to say, well, uh, at least you have the good cancer. Right. It's not only dismissive, but it's, you know, you just don't even know if that's true for the person's situation. The same happens in blood cancers. There's Hodgkin's and then non-Hodgkin's in young adults. Because ALL is in kids, and that's largely curable. That is the good cancer in kids. Mm-hmm. That there's a good cancer in kids. But Hodgkin's is like the good cancer because it's so curable yeah. these days. And non-Hodgkin's like, sorry, not the good cancer. Yeah, and I think the good cancer sort of misses the mark. It does. You know, you're forever a survivor. You can't see my air quotes, listeners, but they're there. <laughs> um, you know, at, or a thriver, if you prefer. So, you know, you're always going to have scans and tests and doctor's appointments and blood work. And I was never somebody prior to my diagnosis who felt like I should be nervous to go to a doctor. You know, how ironic that. That one... was because you grew up on Long Island and you're just used to disastrousness. Yeah, exactly. I was just used to like long waits and incompetence. Yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I was never somebody who was like, oh, I have to go to the doctor. I'm, I'm starting to panic. But now, even almost 10 years later, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I really do. Every time I go for an ultrasound or blood work, I'm like, fingers crossed. Let's hope those antithyroglobulin levels are okay. Like Syllables. Yeah. Again, with the syllables. What's with you? Yeah, there are going to be a lot of syllables in this podcast. Yeah. I apologize in advance. No, it's fine. Most of my listeners have probably gone through the ringer and know exactly what we're talking about. A lot of the themes in your writing, which we'll get to your blog at the second half of the show, is around finding your anchor. Mm-hmm. If you are so lucky to find that anchor, I happened to be a musician. I lost the ability to play. But figuring out if I could play again was my anchor, regardless of if I'd be dead in a week or a year or a decade. Mm -hmm. You had that. But Gary Bloom at Thyka, huge shout out to Gary Bloom. He's been in this industry way longer than I have. Let's talk about Thyka and meeting that tribe for you. Yeah, that was something that was so important in my diagnosis. Um, When I first learned I had thyroid cancer, I immediately panicked and I started doing what I guess the doctors had advised me not to do, which was don't make make this a research project. And of course, what did I do? I was like, hi, Dr. Google, I have thyroid cancer. And I was flooded with these horror stories. And it was everything from I had a thyroid cancer diagnosis. I started taking a synthetic thyroid hormone replacement. My life was never the same. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. Like, I literally was just paralyzed with the fear. And then I found Thyka, which for listeners who don't know, it's a thyroid cancer survivors association. T-H-Y-C-A Exactly. And they were a phenomenal resource. They had everything from how to find a surgeon, how to prepare for the low iodine diet before radioactive iodine. They really made me feel like I was stepping into this community and I was a part of of something bigger than myself. I wasn't just going through this diagnosis alone. And I think for a lot of cancer patients, you feel like it's me. It's just me. You know, it doesn't matter that there are hundreds of millions of other patients, survivors out there. It's like, it's just me right now. Like, this is my life. And and I did have family and friends who were very supportive. But at the end of the day, it's like you wrestle with that diagnosis. And for me, it was hard to say, like, I have thyroid cancer. 
it was like hard to make it personal, like this is happening in my body. So being able to have that community um, and Inspire was another one who really, oh, Inspire, yeah, yeah great, they, they sure. were phenomenal. And like I joined their support Brian's group. Brian's a good friend of mine, Brian Lowe. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to reach out to other patients and I, I felt like, okay, I can ask my questions. I can have my voice be heard. And to me, that was really a cathartic moment and something that I knew once I came on the other side of this that I wanted to give back and I wanted to be that resource and help other patients feel less alone. I had cultivated a lot of resources and relationships through my own diagnosis. And that was something I was like, I want to give back and I want to be able to have someone that can be a sounding board and can kind of understand and empathize with what they're going through. Fun fact of the day, thyroid cancer cases have been increasing by 5.5% per year in the U.S. over the last 10 years, but it's likelier that more doctors are reminding patients to do a neck check Mm -hmm. and it's being detected earlier. Correct. And population growth. Yeah. And I remember even when I was having my surgery at Wild Cornell, shout out to them because they saved my life and I love them. I remember one of the things the nurses said was now gynecologists are doing more and more neck checks because not everybody sees a primary care. So that's another way that that thyroid cancer is being diagnosed earlier. When I had my surgery, right after the resection of the tumor and recovering, I had a hyperthyroid, which is when your thyroid is overactive. And I lost all this crazy weight and they couldn't regulate it. And then I was like, great, I'll be skinny. You know, cancer diet, fantastic. And then it turned to hypothyroidism, which is what you have and now I have, which is when your thyroid just doesn't work Mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to. And I think my starting dose was like 300 mcg. And it just started coming down because for whatever reason, you know, ideally your body regulates. Have you regulated? Yeah, it's hard with thyroid meds in general. Like it's really a delicate balancing act where you're going for blood work. You might not feel great on this dose. Like so for some people, myself included, it has been a challenge to kind of find that sweet spot. And something that I do talk about a lot is that what the reference range is and what's considered, again, air quotes in range might not be necessarily what is best for the patient. So not only did I have subclinical hypothyroidism, but I also had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Again, a lot of syllables here. <laughs> I knew where you were going the with that. show with Vanessa's thyroid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I also have an autoimmune thyroid condition, you know, as well. It's hard to kind of know what my reference range should be because when you have Hashimoto's, you produce antithyroglobulin. Normally for thyroid cancer, they would track your thyroglobulin to check for cancer markers. So, of course, I have to be like the special case, the test tube patient. So we track antithyroglobulin, which always makes it extra special when we look at my labs and we kind of figure out where I need to be. So speaking of syllables, we'll be right back after some ads. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So let's get to your personal brand, your mm-hmm. your identity, your your work now. Your website, Living in Style, S-T-E-I-L. I get it. I see what you did there. What possessed you <laughs> to lean in in that direction with your story? I really wanted to be a resource for patients. And I also wanted to find my voice after my diagnosis. And I felt that writing about my story was cathartic. You know, sharing what I went through, being able to kind of tie it into how I was moving forward with my life. So it actually, Living in Style started out as a lifestyle and wellness site. So it was a lot about, you know, I'm 26 years old. I'm kind of like trying to find my career niche again. And now I had this thyroid cancer diagnosis. So a lot of my story comes through in the blog, you know, all the scans, all the scanxiety, you know, what I do to calm down, how I meditated. So I talk a lot about sanity strolls and all the things. Oh, wait, that... go into that. What is that? I think I could use one of those. <laughs> it sounds good like serenity now. Yeah, everybody could use a sanity stroll. Basically, it's exactly as the name implies. You go for a walk, you take a stroll, you put your phone down. I mean, after you Instagram it, because if you don't do that, yeah. you know it really didn't happen. Difty, difty, difty. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you just go out. You Whether it's like walking in Central Park, taking a beach walk, as I always do, but just something to sort of like break up your day, get away from your phone, you know, not answer your emails and just give yourself like 10 minutes of peace. So that's something that's really helped me, especially the last 20 something years with the pandemic. No, I kid just two. But wait, how long has the pandemic it's, been? I swear, it feels like it's been forever. Like yeah. it's the longest two years. It really has been. Yeah. I was reading also that you live in a small apartment by yourself, and this was probably not an ideal jail cell for you, but you managed to muck through it. Well, the sanity strolls, that's when I really started implementing them. The sanity strolls definitely helped, but it was hard, you know, coming from like an office life where you see people every day and now all of a sudden you just see yourself. And, you know, how do you get out? How do you even find content for your blog? Like, what are you writing about if you're sitting at home? Whoever thought that Zoom background contests would become a thing. Right. There's an entire Twitter handle dedicated to rating people's Zoom backgrounds based on like, we don't care who you are. We're just screenshotting this shit. (laughs) We'll call you out on Twitter. (laughs) You're getting so judged because your books are misaligned and not color coded in your bookshelf behind you. (laughs) We've done these fun things on my Zoom calls where people blur the focus or they have the fake background. And we challenge everyone to get rid of their virtual background all at once. And then we vote whose house is messy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing to do. There was like that poor reporter from the BBC whose daughter burst in three years ago. Now that's all of us. I was going to say, now everybody is used to that. Like there's no such thing as like a Zoom bomb. There really isn't. There really isn't. I want to talk about chutzpah. Mm -hmm. Common theme on my show for many, many years now. Not everyone's born with chutzpah. It seems like you had a bit of a chutzpah gene going in (laughs) because you were just precocious and demanded these things. 
I'm sure you've encountered other people that may or may not have had that level of moxie built in. And have you met these people? What's been their voice? How have you helped them? Yeah, I've certainly met those people. I think uh, a lot of the chutzpah comes from being an, an only child and ah. sort of like having to make my path and advocate for myself. So I guess in some ways, being an advocate was a little bit of a natural progression. Yeah. But it's definitely different when you're in the healthcare system. So aside from my own diagnosis, I've been a caregiver for my now 93-year-old grandmother for more than 10 plus years. So I think I did have a little bit of experience advocating on her behalf. She's a two-time breast cancer survivor. Her last diagnosis was in 2014. So it was right after I had thyroid cancer. But I think, you know, Having those experiences, taking her to appointments, it made it easier in my own life, I think, to speak up. But also, I'm just somebody, I love science, I love health and wellness, so I am interested. So as soon as I had a thyroid cancer diagnosis, I needed to know everything about it. You would have thought I was going to become the head and neck surgeon and just perform the thyroidectomy myself, letters. So I started Googling and I was just fascinated, like, what the thyroid does and how the surgery is going to happen and, you know, radioactive iodine, what does that look like? Sounds terrifying, by the way. It was terrifying at the time, but I think for me... Well, anything radioactive, just you don't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, Imagine Dragons has a whole song about it, which was my theme song when I went for the whole body scan. But I think knowledge is power. And once I was able to understand the diagnosis better and what was going to happen to me, you know, it was an easier pill to swallow. No pun intended with radioactive iodine pills. But I also see what they did there. Yeah. Clever, huh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, I think being an advocate and advocating for myself was a a little natural, but it's overwhelming. You know, you're dealing with an endocrinologist. Now you need a surgeon. Now you're looking at hospitals. Like there's just so much to know. And I always say you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it. I want to get into this notion of like, what does prevention actually mean? Is it just good luck and bad luck? You were in peak condition when you had thyroid cancer. But the luck was I had a doctor who spend some extra time with me and did a neck check. I mean, had he not done that? And that's something I always think about. Like, had that experience not happened, when would I have been diagnosed? Would it have been a more difficult diagnosis at the time? Would it have spread and metastasized? It's not just luck in the sense that you don't get cancer, which is, of course, what everyone hopes for. But it's also luck in the sense that if you do, you have a, a proactive team with you that can guide it. I mean, my experience was so different because... I was diagnosed early and I was able to have a thyroidectomy and have the lymph node removal and be able to continue on with my life. So I think luck plays a big part in it. I do a lot of work now in sort of emerging diagnostics. How would you feel about going to Walgreens one day and happening upon something like a 23andMe for cancer? Right. Do I want to know? That's a thing people deal with now. It's true. No, I, I think it's a very personal decision whether you want to know. I do think genetic testing and, and everything that we have at our fingertips is so amazing. Something I did with Wild Cornell, too, was I allowed them to use like a part of my thyroid for studies that they were working on. So I think anything that we can do in the future that gives us a better understanding of our health and our bodies. And our bodies are so complex. I'm always amazed by that. Like there's so many things going on in our bodies, good and bad. And look, like having thyroid cancer, I felt fine. I didn't have a lump. I didn't have a hoarse voice. Like I didn't have any signs or symptoms of it. So, you know, by doing a neck check, by having people understand, you know, to ask for a neck check when they see their primary care or to ask for blood work, a whole panel of thyroid labs to be done, you know, that could help people be diagnosed earlier. And it really can also help people take control of their health. Which sweeps directly into what you do as a line of work now. I heard this 
expression a couple of years ago, like, what is this, a board-certified patient advocate? Talk us through that decision to do this. I actually uh, sat for the board-certified patient advocacy exam in November of 2019, and it just came out of me wanting to advocate more for patients. And like I said, I, I've been a patient myself, now sort of in that survivor stage, but I've also, I'm a caregiver, and I see the gaps. I see the needs. And something that I've said recently is that we have an aging population, long-term care, and like, how are people going to advocate for what's going to be the largest generation in our country as they age? So for me, the progression to become an advocate and really sit for the, the board-certified advocacy exam was how can I help more patients? I'm old enough to remember when like a stay-at-home mom was like, oh, fine, that's great. Until we realized, oh my God, that's a full-time job. <laughs> But we haven't yet crossed over to this idea of a full-time caregiver is a full-time job. And you refer to this as the invisible workforce. I love that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not my terminology on it. I actually refer to what I do right now as caregiving 2.0. But the invisible workforce really is a, a term that's getting coined because you have more than 50 million Americans in this country who are caregivers. You have around 10 million Americans who are millennial caregivers. So you have all of these people in these caregiving roles. And how do you work full time? You know, I'm doing almost 100 hours a month as a caregiver to my grandmother who's in a nursing home. So I think that just goes to show, you know, even in these care facilities, the role of the caregiver is still a very strong role. I'm there every night doing dinner with her, checking on meds. You know, it, it's a lot. So I think moving forward, you know, how can we help more people and how can we provide support to caregivers? Because it really is a full time job. So final question, how do you feel about military terms in cancer? It's funny. It's something I've had so many discussions about it, and I know it's a very personal feeling about it. I like wellness warrior. I use that a lot. I find warrior to be an empowering term. I'm not particularly crazy about losing the battle, fighting the battle, right. things like that sort of um, don't really land too well. But I think anything that's empowering, but it brings back the point of how we talk about cancer, referencing something as the good cancer, right. you know, saying they lost the battle with cancer. Because they didn't fight hard enough. Right, exactly. So I, I think we need to be really careful with the terminology that we use when we frame the conversations around cancer and, and for patients. Whatever you feel empowers you, that's what you go with. I think it's fantastic. Vanessa Style is an adolescent and young adult thyroid cancer survivor, a board-certified patient advocate, community engagement manager, advocate, blogger, livinginstyle.com. We'll put links in the description. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Matthew. And for everyone listening, it's been great to be here. That's all for now. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us what you'd like Matthew to cover in his next episode by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66, and we might just use it in a future show. Out of Patience is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Betsy Shepard. Our host is Matthew Zachary. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Betsy Shepard. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>